You're listening to the Comic Critics Podcast, a radio program and podcast produced at CHMR FM in St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador. It's the show where we consider, critique, and recommend comic books, graphic narratives, and other forms of comic-related popular culture. And welcome to the Comic Critics Corner, the program where we talk all about comic books, graphic novels, and everything comic culture related. I'm one of your hosts, Hans Rollman. I'm Leah Locke. And I'm Emily Blackmore. And we have a comic we're going to talk about today. Yeah, we do. So we've just finished reading uh, Kill Shakespeare, which was uh, published some years ago. There's actually four volumes in trade um, that you can get now. Uh, I'm going to start this by saying that I read this book like what, like 10 years ago, nine years ago, and I loved it. And then I read it yesterday and I don't love it. And now I'm like, I own all these volumes and I don't even like this book anymore. What's going on? What happened to me in 10 years? So I'm excited to talk about it. (laughs) It's funny, actually, that you bring that up because a friend of mine and I recently had that conversation about what books did you really love when you were younger that now you can't um, reread the same way or you they don't bring you the same joy and uh, I mean everyone has a book like that and I think a lot of it has to do with how much you change like books that grab you when you're 20 versus when you're 35 like what a big difference you know um I didn't love this book yeah. No, I me either. didn't love it. I didn't I, hate I didn't it. Either. But I have real huge issues about this book. I can't wait to talk about them all. I know. Let me just also preface this by saying that Leah was shocked to find out that I had never read Hamlet. <gasps> um, even though I have an English degree, I've managed to get through without ever reading Hamlet. I love Hamlet. And she was like, you have to, she's, you have to go read it. Maybe that would have something to do with the amount of enjoyment to get out of this book. And I said, no, like, I live in the world. I'm enough aware of Hamlet to know exactly what happens in Hamlet to get enough out of this book. But that's not why I didn't like this book. No. Well, actually, Hamlet has nothing to do with why I didn't like this book either. And I should say, like, I loved this book because I love Shakespeare. I was one of those nerds that was sitting at home in junior high and high school and reciting Shakespeare to myself and, like, reading every play. I have every play. I have, like, four different collected editions of everything on top of each individual play. I can recite sonnets at will. I love Shakespeare so much. And I loved the idea of this book. And now I don't like it. Hans, tell us what you think. Same thing. Well, should we kind of premise, I guess, uh, or summarize maybe the the book? Yeah, why Um, don't you go ahead? Oh, well, um, well, I've only read the first collected uh, volume, but the the basic premise seems to be that it's one of these series that takes like an established fictional universe. Like fables. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And that's kind of a parallel I want to talk about a little bit uh, later. Which I loved. Yeah, well, I have... We'll get into it. It's complicated for me. Um, but yeah, it's the same kind of premise where you take this established fictional universe. And in this case, it's the entire works of William Shakespeare. and um, But the authors play with it. And uh, the the book opens with Hamlet kind of being, I, I don't know, sucked Banished, into this. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as he and, is. And, as and he is. He winds up in this kind of alternative universe where uh, all the different characters from Shakespeare's plays are, well, it's, it's hard to tell what's going on at first. There's like differing factions and kingdoms and there's wars and against each other and they they're trying to find. They all exist together in tandem. So it's not like um, Despite Richard the different exists in a 
kingdom at the same time as Lear exists in a kingdom at the same time as Henry exists in a kingdom like all of these things are despite the fact that these are drawn from very different historical perspectives which is a history student bothers me yes he does he washes up on the shore and King Richard III finds him mm-hmm. And one of the things that I found interesting was um, that I, A, I mean, I hate Richard III and this, and you're supposed to, but that immediately he's like, you're the chosen one and you have to kill this evil wizard Shakespeare. And that yeah, is tons. the... But he's got like the three wi- the three witches, like double, double toil and trouble, telling them to do this, right? Like, And they are awesome. I will give them props. I do love those witches. They're literally the only good female characters in this entire book. Well, I really like Juliet. Well, Juliet's good, actually, yes. I forgot about her. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to this. So so there's factions and there's a rebellion because the the evil lords like Richard and Lady Macbeth, who we will get into, but she Ugh. she is not becoming, just as she's not becoming in Macbeth. Um, they are working together to steal the bard's quill. And the bard is a, de- a deity here. So Shakespeare is the deity right what does that say we're going to talk about that too but like so Shakespeare is the god they need to they need Hamlet to steal the quill but then you've got people in the rebellion like Juliet and Othello Falstaff who's great no matter where Falstaff is you know and somehow Iago what side is he on yeah you don't know but that is Iago right like what side is Iago on can we trust him never I did find Iago I found that there was a lot of um say Robin Hood parallelism in this Mm. where um, there is the faction of a rebellion that is acting out against a king, in this case, Richard III, overtaxing their people and making it so that everyone doesn't have food and is suffering. And to them, Shakespeare is this mythical figure that some of them don't believe in, that they think will be able to help them win against this. So Hamlet, of course, is thrown into this and he's found by what we'll call the bad people first and told he has to kill Shakespeare and then he's taken by what we'll call I guess the good people and told no we want you to help us find Shakespeare but don't kill him don't do that and he still even at the end of this first volume just doesn't really know what he's supposed to be doing or who's good or who's bad or Hamlet is forever conflicted and there's something fun in that as well he's a little bit hapless in this but if it hadn't been I think we need to jump in and talk about female representation in this book because for me I don't think I realized just how badly the female representation in the book was, but that's what killed me upon reading it the next time. I don't think Juliet makes up for everything else. I don't either. And Hans brought up Juliet. Juliet is um, basically the de facto leader of this rebellion at this point, the Lady Capulet, and she alludes to having lost someone very important to her. Is it Romeo? I don't know. Sure Leah is. Leah does, but she won't tell me because I, I haven't read you. more than the first issue. <laughs> And she talks about how she used to be quite wealthy and of privilege, and now she's seen the light, and she's, you know, the leader of the rebellion. And she's not really sexualized or anything, um, which is great. She fights. She's a good fighter. She's a good orator. Um, But literally every other woman in this book is just, like, tits spilling out of their dress. Like, uh, like, I mean, that sounds lewd, but that's exactly what it is. And Lady Macbeth, who's not a good person... (laughs) Macbeth anyway is like amped up to 11 it's like they just decided to dial up that volume just a little bit more like how what could we do to make Lady Macbeth that much more nefarious well let's make her extra like evil and she's just gonna murder her husband right away to be with King Richard III for some reason that makes no sense and well power yeah but she the first scene that she's in she's wearing a dress basically cut right down to her navel and she's like hello gentlemen and swilling a wine and immediately i was reading it in front of leah i went ah 
I hate this. I hated it so much. Yeah, I do and, too. Yeah, and especially with prominent characters in the series, that kind of representation is really problematic. One of the things I liked so much about Fables was that it took characters, including some characters who you know, um, you're raised to think of as villains, Mm -hmm. but it challenges that, you know, it either gives you some of the backstory to help you understand why maybe they're portrayed in a certain way, but then it it also, it, it, it makes them more complex characters and you realize, Oh, they're not actually these villains. Think about Cinderella. Yeah. The spy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I loved fables. I'm not, um, and I don't want it to come across like I am not, I'm not anti-sex. I'm not anti-characters being sexy if there's call for that. But it really feels in this book like the writer's idea of being an evil woman is to just be hot and sexy. And there are other ways of portraying that in a book without it just being very one-dimensional. I think that's my big issue with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily that she's using sex to get what she wants because they're, you know, television books are full of examples of that that are done much better, I think, than are done here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, really put me off when I was reading it. Every time she was on the page, I wanted to roll my eyes. Mm. And I really don't think that Juliet makes up for the fact that, like, even in the background, you see the women walking around and they're all either old and hunched over or young and hot. And I think I think one of the reasons I like Juliet so much is that she was one of the few characters who was really, you know, developed in, in, in a complex degree, but also where... And again, this is what I liked about Fables. You had characters acting at, almost out of character from the way we're raised to think of them, you know, the, these mm-hmm. these fairy tale characters. Um, whereas in, in Kill Shakespeare, Juliet was one of the few characters who was really doing that, yeah. b- being different from the version we're raised to, to think of as. And it's that kind of troubling accepted narratives that I really like. But like you said, you know, with Lady Macbeth, it was just the stereotype yeah. intensified. Give me villains that aren't a stereotype. That's so much more interesting. Yeah. And it would be, I think now that you're saying it, one of the things that I didn't like about this book was a lot of these characters didn't feel that developed um, outside of, say, Juliet. Even Hamlet, who's the main character. Um, you know, I, we know his backstory from Hamlet, but he isn't really given a lot of agency at all. He's not making any of his own decisions. He's but I not... think that's part of it, right? Because Hamlet spends his entire time in like, in all of his acts in his own play, not making any of his own decisions. Is he mad north by northwest kind of thing? Like he, Hamlet doesn't, he's consistently conflicted. And so that's something that I think that they're bringing through with this. And I think actually it was a really smart choice on their part to bring in Iago as the person that, Hamlet trusts the most, but then starts we- like wondering whether or not he should trust him. Because we all know, or for those of us who are Shakespeare fans and have read Othello, that Iago oh, yeah. is the one that pushes Othello over he is the not edge to be and you know, kills Desdemona and stuff like this. And there's this really great thing that's happening between Iago and Othello during the course of the story, and it's going to come to a head. I did like point. their interactions. I have read Othello. Yes. That, um, and I thought Othello was actually super interesting in this book. Yeah. Um, but the the whole time that Iago is Iago's working for Richard III and then he I guess gets captured and kind of defects and is working for the rebellion but then at the end he goes back to Lady Macbeth so then you're and like then who he's got a whole romance happening with Lady yeah, Macbeth like, who is also romancing Richard III so then you're like who is he actually working for because there's points at which he comes across as very genuine it's like Hamlet I promised I would look out for your best interests and protect you and Hamlet eats it up he seems to believe it entirely but we're just sitting there reading it going like don't do it do not believe this man he is not 
telling the truth. Yeah. As the as the series progresses, you get characters like Miranda um, that get more developed, for example, and uh, and I think even um, Helena comes into it a little bit as well. So you do have some other female characters that will um, that will come up so maybe right? they do get better at it as so, it goes on yeah. but no but here's the thing like at the time and i haven't read volume two and volume three but like even miranda like do i do i like her i think she's kind of like a pirate kind of character in the end and then mm-hmm. i didn't really know how i felt about that either so i think i'm questioning the whole thing but what i liked about it it was as somebody who's read all of shakespeare at one point or another to see all of these characters come together and be represented in some way that's distinctive of how Shakespeare himself wrote them but then taken on this whole new world like even Don John appears and he's like this real jerk which he is in you know in Shakespeare anyway so like that was kind of neat and also not a character that you often think about and stuff like that so I really loved it I thought Falstaff was great and Falstaff is it must just have like been Falstaff a lot of fun. and Henry and Henry the fourth and the Merry Wives of Windsor like that sort of a thing like that was a lot of fun to read yeah. all of these characters it must even have been so Puck much fun to write like they must yeah. have had a blast writing these characters but I do think and now you've read more than one volume Hans you said you've only read the first yeah I think that for maybe Hans and I only reading the first that's all I have to go on so yeah. in my oh, one review 100%. of this it doesn't matter if it gets better if the entry point is not good enough and mm-hmm. I just reread this yesterday and I don't think I could recommend it even having read the other two volumes yeah. now, I mean the premise is excellent I think the premise is really interesting and a part of me does kind of want to read on and see what happens does he actually kill Shakespeare I don't know but it's not enough. I'm not itching to go and get the next mm-hmm. volume for sure. Well, one of the one of the things I found challenging around it as well was I, I haven't not read Shakespeare since high school, and so it it was a lot. I kind of struggled to remember who the different characters were and the nuances of you know what roles they played in different plays. So so it's useful to I don't know have kind of a refresher on yeah, Shakespeare before well. going into it. I think yeah. And I, I I found the language a bit stilted at times too because sometimes they try and play with the Shakespearean language. And again, things I liked about fables was kind of that modernization of it. But what I liked about the book, and one of, one of the things, um, even when I was frustrated about characters and plot and so forth, I loved the art. I thought the art was was really gorgeous in in, in many spots. You know, the very fairy tale like fantasy art, but so colorful. Yeah, so I, I appreciated the artwork. Um, very bright, oftentimes. bright. Yeah, very bright artwork. No, I did love the art. I Back to your point about language, what I found really frustrating was taking snippets of Shakespeare. So here you have snippets of iambic pentameter, and then you have no iambic pentameter. And it, like, I found that... When it can you read be stilted to read. It, it did, be. because when you read Shakespeare, you expect a rhythm. And then to be thrown a rhythm and then to have that rhythm sort of just all of a sudden end, it was like it, it really took me aback. And even when they were trying to give their characters some of that language that Shakespeare, I mean, nobody can do that the way Shakespeare did it, right? So like Puck, for example, when Puck comes and they're trying to play with Puck, um, I just it just didn't it just didn't work for me. Right? That that language, that little bits of language didn't work for me. I mean, really, I want more of a Midsummer Night's Dream in here. <laughs> not, not less. More. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of Lysander and Demetrius. What, one thing that may be um, a redeeming feature of it, again, again, I haven't read the whole series, but I like that it's a short series because yeah. as much as I've been 
praising up fables, um, especially in comparison to Which Kill went Shakespeare. On and that's what I did not like about uh, fables. Like, I, I loved the first, I was riveted. I was going out getting collected volume after collected volume for. I don't know, seven or eight of collective volumes, but then it just kept going. And That's they how would, I felt about Fables. Yeah, they would resolve key plot, key narratives, but then... Devastate you anew with something else, like, yeah, horrific. Yeah, yeah. And, and thinking of the Cubs and... The yeah, things. exactly, oh, yeah. So I just got so tired, and I, I kept trying to... I, I got so far, I was determined to finish it, but I, I, I couldn't. I, I haven't just got finished sick Fables yet. Yeah, so I think there's something to be said for, you know, knowing the... The, the span of a of a story and, and this is what four volumes I think yeah four do you own all four of them Leah have you read all of no, them no I own the first three I haven't I don't own the fourth one I have read them all yeah I, I don't I don't love it I think what at the beginning what really pulled me through as such a Shakespeare fan I'm also a huge Hamlet fan I love Hamlet and I loved the idea of him carrying his own new story and seeing where that would, would go. At first, I was a little like, whatever about the whole Juliet thing. I really, while I've read Romeo and Juliet probably most because I was also a teacher, I, man, like Romeo is the whiniest person ever. Like to me, right? Like I just can't stand that guy. She should have married Paris. But um, <laughs> like, I, I, like I, I was really interested in the way that the characters would go uh, and would develop and so when this book first came out I was living in Halifax and I went to Halcon and one of the panel presentations was a live reading of this comic book and so they had different images of it behind you without the bubbles without the, the speech bubbles and um, there were five or six different people on stage and they were crinkling paper. They were making the sounds, you know, very Monty Python with the, you know, with your horses and stuff. But they were also really embodying the characters. And I found that so riveting at the same time that I think it upped my, you know, my relationship with this book itself. I also had a friend that was doing it and it surprised me because I didn't realize. And so, like, I, I feel like I have a history with this book, even if I don't want a history with this book. So I dislike it but I see its good qualities um, what I really interested to know is is there a bigger statement happening here do you think so it's all about we have to kill Shakespeare so Shakespeare is like a god here it's a religion and there's and they're saying we have to kill this this religion well some of them some of them some are. of them think he's gonna some save of them, them right? think he's the savior so what is the bigger question that's happening is there something bigger going on like as I was reading it that's what I was struck with this time I don't even know if I would believe that there is. I think that the writers are just having fun. Mm. And as they go along, maybe they decide that there is, but there's no indication in this first book that that is, that they have, are trying to make a bigger message out mm -hmm. of it. And I mean, Leah's touching her nose, so I could be <laughs> wrong or right. Um, but just from reading the first volume, I don't feel like they've plotted out any sort of like higher message about the writer of all these characters being, I think they just thought it was cool. A hundred percent. There were actually times where I, I kind of wondered, you know, I thought it was a kind of could be a clever thing, you know, because some characters like worship Shakespeare, others, they all have such a different perception of this God, you know, and and the, the chosen one, the, the savior. And, and um, I, I, I did kind of wonder, OK, can we is this a metaphor for religion and Christianity and all the different oh. different denominations and the you know interfaith battles you know um, and I certainly think there's great potential there I don't know that they carried it through you know whenever I had those thoughts they would then get 
dissolved by some silly you know plot going on but uh yeah the, i think there's there's a lot of clever potential in in what was done here this um book in 2011 the uh the artist and the writer were both nominated for joe schuster awards so that like the, it did it did make some waves in the industry at the time when it came out um and i think that the graphic novel format itself lends itself very very well to shakespeare because mm-hmm. yeah. shakespeare's so visual despite like you know even though being such well, a it's supposed language, to be watched right? it is supposed mm-hmm. to be watched so i i remember teaching and always having a graphic novel version of whatever play we were reading to help those students that were having a harder time with the language so i think that a graphic novel is a great way to promote Shakespeare and to introduce Shakespeare to a new group. I just don't know that like the highbrow of Shakespeare and the lowbrow of what they've done with some of these characters does that well enough for me. I think that I probably would have loved this book 15 years ago. Right! (laughs) I don't know how well it has aged, um, especially say in its treatment of women given the last few years uh, politically and you know culturally uh, I think if it came out today, would it be as well received or yeah. would it have some more criticisms? That's that's what I was thinking when I was reading it. Um, it doesn't mean that, again, the premise is great. Some of it is very enjoyable. But overall, if someone was asking me for recommendations, I wouldn't be listing this book. Yeah, I can't mm-hmm. list this book anymore yeah. as a recommendation. Although I do really like the idea that there are things that meant a lot to you and affected you greatly when you were younger that no longer do as you age that is always a point of um, interest to me and i do i love Mm -hmm. shakespeare so i wanted to really like it i went into it thinking this is so cool and i was actually kind of disappointed that i didn't exit the book feeling the same way yeah yeah same so read it make your own opinions don't read it that's up to you (laughs) yeah yeah in the the very brief time remaining should we throw out a couple other recommendations each i just read a very short graphic novel by audrey emily help me out here audrey niffenegger is that right from the Time Traveler's Wife fame. Yes. Is that how we say her name? I'm not sure. Okay. So Audrey wrote uh, a very, very short book called The Night Bookmobile. It almost looks like a picture book, although it is a graphic novel. And it's about this girl who goes out one night. Um, she's dealing with some personal things. She's dealing with some personal struggles. And uh, she goes out one night and she sees a traveling bookmobile and she goes in it. And what she uncovers inside is her diaries from when she was little and then then she leaves it and when the morning comes she leaves the bookmobile and and it disappears and then a number of years later when she's going through something else it comes back but it's bigger this time and it has every book that she's ever read in her whole life in here and there's a librarian and who's helping her through the collection and who preserves the archives and basically what the story is is saying you know what is heaven what is hell what is it that we aspire to? What does what we've done in our life? What does it mean in the greater scheme of things? And uh, what would our personal library be like if we if we had that at the end of the day? And I was I, it was really haunting, and I I really really highly recommend that book just as an introspective piece, and especially about a book about books. I'm always one for those. Oh, that sounds really intriguing. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Hans? Okay, I uh, just read a really intriguing little book which just came out. It's by, the author's name is Anko, A-N-C-C-O. She's a Korean uh, author who has apparently written and published quite a lot of comics, uh, diary-style comics in Korea. This, I believe, is one of the first translations of her work into English. It's called Bad Friends, and it just came out uh, from Drawn and Quarterly. And it's really... uh, 
powerful. It's this, essentially the story, uh, the narrator uh, telling the story of her junior high and high school years and um, growing up in South Korea. It's one of these books that's just piercingly honest, is brutally honest, and is a difficult read as a consequence. You know, she faced a lot of bullying. She faced a lot of violence. Uh, her father physically beat her uh, in horrible ways. Um, she experienced very violent uh, relationships. The teachers on school beat all the kids very brutally. Oh so God. there's, yeah, it's absolutely horrific. At one point, the kids even call the police because some of the students are just, you know, so bloodied by their teachers. And the police come and yell at the, at the kids for, for, for challenging their teachers and go away, leaving these kids. These you know beaten kids in, in pools of blood, so it's absolutely horrific. And the protagonist you know runs away from home uh, at one point and winds up uh, living on the streets, surviving through sex work. Uh, there's just such, and eventually goes back to school and goes back to school and graduates from high school. And um, so it's very brutal read, but um, you know amazingly depicted. And she says at the end that you know she when she looks back on her life, those experiences you know she's they they helped give her strength, they helped make her who she is. But it's only because she kind of was able to to get go back to school. Um, it's because she's able to look back on on those years that she sees the ways that gave her strength. And so many of her friends didn't make it through those years. Uh, so it's a very poignant. Uh, um, read, but uh, absolutely uh, amazing in the way that she presented the book. So very powerful read. Wow. Emily, have you got a book? Well, I was thinking, I haven't read it recently, but one of the graphic novels that have stuck with me that I've read in the last year is The First Southern Bastards, which you recommended oh, to me, love, Leah, yes. um, which is by Jason Aaron. <laughs> and uh, I've read a few more volumes of it, but that first one, and it's, um, you know, a small southern town really into football and basically just this one old man trying to root out corruption in his town, and it does not end, like, the way you think it's going to, or happily, and... Uh, it's actually a really upsetting book to read and it's very violent um a lot of hyper violence i don't think it's going to be for everyone but if you grew up in a small town there are quite a few things in it that will ring true um and if you're really interested in um the corruption that can occur around football or uh, the importance that people place on sports over morality there's definitely lessons to be learned and um the grumpy old man who is the main character is a really interesting guy because he's not really super likable but you're rooting for him um the bad guy is named boss coach which is super (laughs) weird but I don't know. It's just so interesting. It's like the football coach is almost like a mob boss running the town. Yeah. I've Um, pitched that book as like the mafia meets football. (laughs) And I mean, the volumes do get more and more in depth and interesting. Like the main character's daughter shows up eventually back to her small town and she's really cool. But it is an upsetting read. So, you know, I feel like there should be almost like a trigger warning that comes with it that it is not um, for the faint of heart. But it is a very powerful book and it's very interesting. And it's definitely about what if one person just stands up and says, this is not good enough anymore. And how can they affect change, even if they feel like they're not affecting change, you know? No, it's a great book. And Jason Aaron, um, I mean, more contemporary, like you might know Jason Aaron or in pop culture um, as the person who wrote... um, the Jane Foster Thor, for example, yeah. um, you know he's he's big in the Marvel world as well. So um, anything that Jason Aaron does, I tend to really love his yeah. work. Yeah, and the name Southern Bastards. I mean, right? Grabs you, right? And football they are, mafia. They're football mafia. <laughs> 
Okay, so well, there's a few reads for you to check out. And our next book club read is going to be? So we're going to read Decelerate Blue. It's a book by Adam Rapp and illustrated by Michael Cavallero. So it was recently published. And it's sort of a dystopian, futuristic love story. Yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm so excited to read it. It's got wicked reviews. And uh, we recently just got it into the library. So I'm super pumped to talk about that one. All right. So we'll be back in a few weeks with that. And uh, in the meantime, keep reading comics. <laughs> You've been listening to The Comic Critics, a radio program and podcast produced at CHMRFM in St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador. We'll be back in about two weeks with more comic-related popular culture. <laughs>